All right. I want to start this morning with a quick question. Show of hands. Is there anyone here who enjoys cooking? Yeah, a few hands. Okay. Um, I find myself in this camp. I know for some people it can be a chore, but my type A personality, Enneagram One, loves a recipe to follow. I also enjoy being able to, you know, it's, it's almost peaceful for me. I can put aside the other things that might be on my mind or that I'm concerned about, and I can just focus on the, the task at hand and the meal I'm making. And it comes with the added bonus of being able to eat whatever you made at the end. So that's awesome too. Um, how many of you have also burned yourself cooking? Yeah, yeah. Even if you don't like cooking, you've probably burnt yourself cooking. And unfortunately, I find myself in this camp as well. Most recently, this happened to me a couple months ago because uh, Kayla ordered one of these chef's plate boxes. And these are great. They send you like three or four meals to your door, all the ingredients, the recipe, everything you need. And this one recipe was for uh, oven-baked, cheesy, like Italian meatballs. And they were delicious, you guys. But I did burn myself cooking them, unfortunately. Um, And I should have known that this recipe was a little bit out of my, uh, it was a little bit above my pay grade when it said to fry up the meatballs on top of the stove and then take the entire frying pan and stick it in the oven. I'm 30 now. I just turned 30. I've never, this is the first time I ever stuck an entire fry pan in the oven because the side of a KD box does not say stir up the pot and then stick it in the broiler. It just, so I should have known this was dangerous from the get-go. But anyway, I make this meal and I didn't burn myself pulling it out of the oven. That's probably what you're assuming. But I used the oven mitt. I took it out. I put it on top of the stove. I came back. I checked my recipe and everything, get the side dishes. But when I went back to plate everything, that's when I, I, I like tried to move the pan or push it out of the way, and I didn't have the oven mitt. So yeah, luckily it wasn't too severe. I didn't try and grasp it or lift it or anything like that, but it gave me a good shock for sure. And the one thing uh, that I remember saying aloud in my kitchen, I'm alone, but I said it out loud, was what was the point of that? And like, really Kyle, what was the point of that? How short of a memory do you need to have to go from here to here and back and forget that this thing was just in the oven for five minutes. But it got me thinking, and sometimes I go down these like rabbit holes of thought, but it got me thinking, what was the point of that? And why is it that we feel physical pain? Why is it that a good God would let us feel bad things? And he would give us these bodies that are capable of feeling such joy and pleasure, but also things like burns and cuts and rashes. Like, wouldn't it just be better if we didn't feel pain at all? Wouldn't that, like, why? Wouldn't that be the better alternative? But we don't actually have to wonder what this might look like because there are some people who are born with a condition called congenital analgesia. And these people are born with the inability to feel pain. And at first glance, that sounds like a good thing. That sounds enviable even, like, man, that would be, that's where it's at. But because they can't feel anything, or they can feel touch, but they don't feel pain. So their bodies don't give them the same warning that you and I get. And so because of that, they very often, they can experience extreme burns, uh, broken bones. They might even chew off part of their tongue without realizing it because they, they genuinely can't feel that as pain. So unfortunately, too, it's not uncommon for people with this condition to die at an early age in childhood from their injuries and their illnesses going unnoticed and untreated. So what this told me, what this tells me is that physical pain is actually a good thing. 
As much as it, you know, it sucks in the moment, physical pain is actually a good thing. The pain that I felt from the frying pan was a good thing. It prevented me from further damage, from third-degree burns. In the summer, when it's 30 degrees out and you're, you're baking in your backyard and you get a sunburn, that is uncomfortable. It can be painful. But it's also a good deterrent from further sun exposure that can lead to things like skin cancer. In the winter, especially in Calgary, you know, it's minus 30 or minus 40. It's cold, and that's uncomfortable. It's painful even. But if we didn't feel that cold, then very quickly we could get frostbite, even hypothermia. But this principle, you know, that physical pain is a good thing, it's not just true physically. It's also true of the pain that we feel mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally. It's true in these areas as well. And we like to think that we would be better off without that pain. But, but the absence of pain isn't pleasure. It's numbness. The absence of pain isn't pleasure. It's numbness, just like the people with this condition. Our bodies and our minds, they have no filter of, you know, pain or feeling. We can't, we don't get to pick and choose. I want to feel this, but I don't want to feel this, okay? If you scrape your body and you apply some type of ointment or, uh, like, numbing agent there, lotion, that's, that's great. That will take away the pain in that area temporarily. But you also won't be able to feel anything good in that area either. And we can, we can fall into the trap of doing the same thing with emotional pain as well and try and numb it with things like alcohol. But yes, it will, although it will take away the pain, you won't be able to feel anything good either. I've never met anyone who, you know, who would describe themselves as ambitious, successful, or fulfilled when they're drunk. That's just, it's, it's not how it works. This feeling, you know, when we experience feeling, it's an all or nothing thing. Either we allow ourselves to feel pain and pleasure, or we feel nothing at all. So whether we like it or not, pain has a purpose. Pain has a purpose, and it serves this purpose in lots of different ways. In our marriages, our workplace, our friendships, there's actually a reason that you feel stressed, and there's a reason you feel anxious, a reason you feel burnt out or unfulfilled, because without pain, we would very quickly do serious damage to ourselves without ever realizing it. Pain is actually meant to help us, not hurt us, and it's not meant to be a punishment. It's actually there as protection. It's there as protection. But before we go any further with this conversation, I want to make a key distinction between two things. And that's the difference between pain and suffering. Okay? Because when I said pain has a purpose, many of you probably thought, Kyle, that can't be true all the time. What possible good could come from me losing a loved one? What benefit could there be to this diagnosis? And those are fair questions. But let me tell you, there's a difference between the pain of a broken leg and the suffering of cancer. Those are two different things, and we shouldn't treat them the same way. There's a difference between the pain of not being able to handle your kids and the suffering of not being able to have kids. Those are two different things. So here's, here's the difference. Pain is something you can address. Suffering is something you can only acknowledge. Pain you can address, suffering you can only acknowledge. And the problem here is that we often go too far to one extreme or the other. Either everything is pain or everything is suffering. But that's not true all the time. Because if everything is pain, then it's ours to address, it's ours to fix, it's only in our control, it's our responsibility. We have to be the ones to try harder, work harder, do more. And the problem is not every problem has that type of solution. 
Sometimes, sometimes it's genuinely out of our control. And on the other extreme, if everything is suffering, then we've abdicated all responsibility for that thing. And, you know, we feel like we're we feel like everything is out of our control and that we are helpless. There's nothing I can do. It's either their fault or it's God's fault. And that's not true either. So when we're making this distinction, it's important to know that you can only address what you're willing to acknowledge. You can only address what you're willing to acknowledge. Okay. But if pain has a purpose, then what is it? What is the purpose of pain? Well, primarily, I think pain is a signal. So just like you receive a signal or pain uh, from something physical, like a burn or a fracture, we experience mental and emotional pain, and those are signals too. And in the same way, it would be foolish for a runner to be running a marathon and make it halfway and then injure themselves. Maybe they roll an ankle or they break a bone or something. It would be foolish for them to carry on and to try and finish the race and only do themselves more damage. But you and I, we're equally foolish when we experience pain like anxiety and stress and fatigue. And instead of addressing it, we dismiss it or we withdraw from it or we try and cover it up. These signals, these are signals that need our attention. And a good analogy here that I think can be helpful is that of a smoke detector. Just like you have in your house, you have a smoke detector, that is a signal. Now, the smoke detector itself is not the problem. It's there to alert you of a problem. And what you choose to do with that signal is up to you. The choice is yours. And the wise or the logical thing to do if your smoke detector is going off is to address it. Either, you know, look around. Is there a fire? Maybe we can put it out. At the very least, exit the building and call 911. That's the wise or logical thing to do. I don't think anyone here would argue with that. But... You and I have smoke detectors going off everywhere in our lives and in our families and our marriages, our offices and in our minds. And more often than not, we don't do anything to address it. Instead, we try to ignore it and we try and carry on as if nothing is, nothing is wrong. And that's, that's, not, that's not okay. It's not healthy. The other, um, the other way that this analogy can be helpful is when we uh, think about anxiety. You know, many people experience anxiety. And like a smoke detector, anxiety is a signal. But if often, you know, it, we think of it like this bad word. It's got this negative connotation to it, anxiety. But the truth is not all anxiety is bad anxiety. Sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes, you know, the, the actual purpose there is it's your mind telling you this thing you're anxious about deserves more of your attention. You need to be paying attention to this thing. So even this week, I'm preparing to preach, and I had a ton of anxiety. But it wasn't a bad thing. It was actually, you know, it's my mind's way of trying to tell me, you need to, well, one, you're behind on writing your sermon. Two, you should probably practice it more. And three, you need more experience doing it. If you're going to do this, you, then you, you need to you know, get some more experience and keep trying and, and all that. So for me, that anxiety was good. It was helpful. But we can also experience bad anxiety. And this is when you, you constantly feel it, when it's all the time for no reason. And this is the equivalent of a, your smoke detector going off all the time. Like you're trying to watch TV and it's just going off for no reason all the time. Or if it's overly sensitive and reacts the same way to the lighting of a match as it would a full-blown house fire. And for people with, uh, with, an with a true anxiety disorder, it's no longer a helpful signal pointing toward a bigger problem. Instead, it's simply deafening and debilitating. And listen to me, if that's you this morning, okay, it is okay to take medication to treat that. That type of anxiety is not healthy and it's not helpful. 
But before we get there, I think we, we need to do a really honest and thorough job of differentiating between the two. Is it good anxiety or bad anxiety? Before asking our doctor to effectively quiet or even mute that smoke detector and ignoring what could be a bigger, deeper problem that may actually be in our control. So if pain is a signal or a sign, then what is it a sign of? And I think this, we can boil it down to one of two things. Pain is either a sign of something we need to stop or something we need to start. Something we need to stop or something we need to start. God gave us minds and bodies that have this physiological reaction to the things around us. And they're meant to point us in the right direction. But we have to be the ones willing to act. You know, he's given us free will, but with that freedom comes the responsibility that when we experience pain, we're willing to address it. And we start or we stop what is uh, eventually going to cause us even further damage. So I want to talk about a few examples of that. I want to get, you know, make this really practical. Some things that you may be feeling that are painful and what you might consider starting or stopping. But before we do that, I want to spend a few minutes... <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, I want to spend a few minutes talking about depression because we're in this series called Out of the Cave. And for it, we're looking at the story of Elijah in the Old Testament. He was a prophet back then. And uh, he found himself in a state of depression. And his story is helpful because it can help us identify a couple things that will lead you into the cave of depression. But it also gives us some helpful ways out. And in a room this big, with this many people, I want to acknowledge there are at least some of you here this morning who find yourself in the cave of depression. You're in there with, you're in that cave with Elijah. And if that's you this morning, I want you to know, okay, there is nothing wrong, nothing wrong at all with being depressed. There's nothing wrong with being depressed. There is a problem with staying depressed. Okay, but there's nothing wrong with being depressed. This it is a real problem. It's a serious problem. There shouldn't be this stigma around it that there often is, and we should be willing to talk about it. And in the same way that you would see your doctor and consult a doctor for help or for treatment of a physical condition, you should also we should be willing to do the same thing with our mental health as well. But I do want to caution, you know, I do want to caution us that, that as Dan started talking about in week one, we are multidimensional beings. And depression is a multidimensional problem. And because of that, it deserves a multidimensional solution. And like anxiety, there's nothing wrong with taking a prescription that you need. Nothing at all, okay? A biological problem very often needs a biological solution. And I think two things can be true at the same time. And I'd be lying if I got up here today and told you I wasn't at least a little concerned when I hear stats like from 1999 to 2014, in 15 years, antidepressant prescriptions rose 65%. Like, that's a big number. Or as Dan mentioned in week one, during 2020, during the pandemic, antidepressants rose three times in the span of a year, and still depression went up 42%. Now, those are big numbers. And... You know, I, I realize there's a bit of a chicken and egg thing here happening where it's like, we don't, which came first? Is it correlation or causation? And my, my sincere hope is that these numbers are rising because there is less stigma around it. And there are more people that are seeking help and getting the help that they need. But I do worry that as, as a society, we might be trying to treat this multidimensional problem with a unilateral solution. Or that there may be doctors out there, good, well-meaning doctors, who see this problem and they want to help people, but they only have one tool in their tool belt. And when all you have is a hammer, more and more things start looking like nails. So I want to jump back to Elijah's story in 1 Kings 19, and I think this will help explain kind of where I'm getting at. 
So verses 3 to 8 read, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. So that's the version you'll find in the New Living Translation. It's the same one Dan read from last week even. Um, here's, but I also want to share with you the version I found on Twitter. Okay, so I don't, my caution here, don't take all your life advice from Twitter, but I found this interesting. So Joy Clarkson, at Join Us the Brave, writes, this is your gentle reminder that one time in the Bible, Elijah was like, God, I'm so mad, I want to die. So God said, here's some food. Why don't you have a nap? So Elijah slept and he ate and he decided things weren't so bad. Never underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. Yeah. Now, if anyone else gets hangry like I do, then you, 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 you kind of relate with this a little bit. But this, obviously, this is an oversimplification, okay? If you read Elijah's story, there's a lot more going on here. There's more that God offers to Elijah. It's not just about food and sleep. But I think the reason this is at least a little bit funny to most of us is because it's at least partly true. And we, we should be able to acknowledge that at least two of the things God did prescribe to Elijah were food and sleep when he needed it. Now, this is not me saying you don't have depression, you don't need medication, just eat something and sleep. Okay, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. But what I am trying to say is how we define a problem changes how we deal with it. How we define it changes how we deal with it. If you have abdominal pain, that can be any number of things. You could be pregnant. You might have a hernia and you need surgery. Or it could be you had Taco Bell for lunch and you need a Pepto. Okay, like those, all of those are abdominal pain. So how we define it changes how we deal with it. And when we're seeking treatment for depression, if your doctor pulls out a prescription pad before asking anything about your nutrition, your sleep patterns, your working conditions, your family life, or meaningful relationships, that's a problem. We need to be treating this multidimensional solution with a robust treatment that not only addresses our bodies, but also our minds and our souls and our spirit. There are people around you. There are people that you know. This might even be you sitting here today. There are people who have accepted this label of depression that we could, could, that could just as easily be described as being unfulfilled or burnt out or malnourished or sleep-deprived or overworked or isolated. And the one thing these all have in common, none of them are solved by taking a pill. If you find yourself in the cave of depression, okay, medication might be the right thing, it might be the good thing, and it might be uh, the, the right course of treatment, at least temporarily. But I think we also owe it to ourselves to address some of these other possibilities as well. So what are some other examples of pain you might feel? Uh, what might you consider starting or stopping? Uh, and I just want to share a couple examples. I don't have time for a lot, but here are some. So first, pain might be a sign of something you need to let go of. Like me and my cooking accident, okay, some of you are holding on to either a toxic relationship, a promiscuous lifestyle, a self-destructive habit, and you keep holding on to it wondering why you keep getting burned. So pain might be something that you need to let go of. 
Uh, you might also feel burdened with debt. You know, I've been here. Many people are in this, uh, in this scenario where you feel burdened with debt, in which case it might be time to stop buying and to start selling or start budgeting. You know, maybe it's not that God is asking you to rewrite the laws of mathematics every single month in order to make ends meet. It could be that there's some things or some expectations you need to let go of that you simply can't afford. And to make this really practical, okay, go join FPU. One of our connect groups meeting this semester, they start this week, Tyler and Breen are leading it, is Financial Peace University. And FPU is the way out of the cave of financial burden, okay? So go and join that group if you find yourself in this location. Um, another thing you might be experiencing uh, or feeling is, you know, Kyle, I have no time. I never have time for all the things. And I'm just going to challenge you here. It's not true. It's simply not true. We all have 24 hours, okay? The question's not how much time do you have, it's what are you doing with the time? In which case, you might need to stop scrolling social media. You might need to stop saying yes to every invitation. That can be easy as well. Uh, you might need to start managing your time and telling your calendar what you're doing instead of the other way around. You might also feel distant from God, in which case, the answer might be to stop waiting for him to initiate the conversation and start it yourself. You leave some time, you know, devote some time to prayer, to reading his word, and leave the, the room and the space and the margin that if God wanted to talk to you, he could. You might be experiencing conflict in your marriage, and you know, this is con every couple has some conflict. That's that's normal, but maybe it's <laughs> but maybe it's not a one-time thing and it's a little, you know, it's it's consistent. And in this case, it's easy to think, well, the answer, you know, the, the answer is probably not that you need a new spouse or a new partner. Okay? That's in fact, you might just bring the same problems to your next relationship. More often than not, it's the, the real reason is that there's a need that either has gone uncommunicated or unmet. So it might be time that we stop accusing, start communicating, and it is a good thing, it is healthy for you and or your spouse to go see a counselor. If you're having difficulty in your marriage, counseling might be the right, the, the right option. If you feel exhausted, take a Sabbath. I mean, God took a day off. You should too. You might need some rest, carve out some time. If you feel isolated, join a connect group. If you're tired or you feel low energy all the time, maybe it's, maybe it's time, this is, this is your kick in the pants, okay, to start sleeping more, to start eating better, or to start exercising. You join Rad 60 and start, you know, have some people around you that can hold you accountable to these things. There, you know, I could go on and on and on. There's tons of examples here, but I want to make this really practical and, you know, so you can apply it in your life and you can leave here today with some uh, real things that you can do to hopefully improve your situation. And it starts with being honest and asking uh, three questions. Okay, here they are. Three questions. First one, what pain are you feeling right now? And you might have a different word for it, okay? It could be like what discomfort or what stress, anxiety, or conflict are you feeling right now? And then once you've identified it, don't hide it or ignore it. We have to be willing to acknowledge it. Acknowledge the pain that you're feeling. And then secondly, we have to decide, is it pain or is it suffering? And again, we have to be really honest when making this distinction. Is it in our control or is it not? And then what we do with it, okay, is we trust God with the things that are in his control. We obey God with the things in our control. Trust God with the, with the things in his control, and we obey him with the things in our control. And, you know, we should be able to trust him. He, he created us. He created the universe. Like, he can do all things. We should be able to trust him. But 
And this is probably going to step on some toes. But the reason this might be difficult for you is because it's hard to trust anyone you don't have a good relationship with. It might be time that you need to start or restart that relationship, or you need to invest some more time and effort into building your relationship with God so you can trust him. And then obey God with the things that are in your control. And you know, this can be hard because maybe you don't know what to do. Maybe you're not sure, what do I start or stop? But, you know, ask yourself, what does the Bible say about this? Open your Bible. There's tons in there. Ask, what does the Bible say about this? What did Jesus say about this? What instruction did Paul give or Peter or James? And how can I use that and apply it in my own life? And we've just got, we've got to acknowledge, you, like our way isn't working. If your way was working, you wouldn't be feeling the pain that you are. So maybe it's time to try God's way. And then third question, what is God trying to tell me to start or stop? What is he trying to tell me? And because, and here's where we, we need to listen, okay? More often than, than not, God is trying to tell you something. He wants to help you. He wants to. And you probably have an inclination already of what that thing might be to start or stop. And if you don't, or you feel like, you know, God isn't speaking to me in this moment, I'm not sure what to do, then you might need to seek the guidance or counsel of some mature godly people around you that have experience and want to support you. That is very healthy as well. And then also we need, we just need to be able to take action. I know this can be scary. It's uncomfortable to either start something new or to stop a thing that you're already doing and you're comfortable in. That can be scary. But let's just acknowledge you're already uncomfortable where you are. Like whatever pain you're experiencing, you're, you may as well be uncomfortable in the right direction. Wouldn't it be better to at least try? So those are the, those are the three questions, okay? What pain am I feeling? Is it pain or is it suffering? And what is God trying to tell me to start or to stop? And I think if you ask yourself those questions today, if you check in with yourself on a regular basis, then you'll find yourself in a much better place outside the cave. Father, I pray that for everyone here, including myself, that you would help us to uh, identify and to acknowledge the pain points in our life and the things that are causing us stress or anxiety or depression or any number of things, and that we would acknowledge them, that we would have the courage to address them. And for the things that are out, that are out of our control, I pray that we would have the relationship with you that we need in order to be able to trust you with those things and to give you the things that are yours and to accept responsibility for the things that are ours. And I pray that there would be people here today who their step out of the the next thing for them to do would be to start a relationship with you. And I pray that they would do it. I pray that you would bless everyone who is here this morning, that you would give us clear steps forward and you would speak to us as to what you want to do in our lives so we can experience life overflowing. God, I thank you. We worship you. We love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.